Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I don't remember, when I was a kid, we had something called Guy Fawkes Day, where you put a couple of... Um, oh, that's, that's different. That's different. That's bonfire. It's a fifth and of November. The, um, were they, and it was All Hallows, was it? All Hallows. All Hallows. Halloween's... Well, Paul would be the expert on this, because I'm sure all of these things, you've you got a Christian imposition on the top of pagan an old or, pagan... Pagan or Christian, yeah, originally. Yeah. So Valentine's Day, which nominally is St. Valentine's Day, yes. was actually... No, that, that goes back before that, does it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but a lot of things were grafted <laughs> on, were they? They were grafted on to uh, yeah, traditions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Halloween is two sides at all saints. Because when I lived in Paris, it was a huge thing. And everyone went to the cemetery on Halloween. So it's a much more... It's all Hallows, Hallows Eve. It's all Hallows Eve, which involves uh, <laughs> cinnamon cake or something. Oh, some sort <laughs> of wine from the religious family I came from, anyway. Oh, no, as I say, the point is it's been completely taken over by this mass exodus of anybody under 40, basically, you know, dressed as um, an extra from Michael Jackson's Thriller, you know, uh, uh, and still coming home, you know, the morning after. Which would take us neatly... Have we started? We started. Effortless segue. (laughs) This is a word podcast where you get the bonus track at the beginning, don't you? (laughs) And um, gathered this morning in the black hole of Calcutta, Paul Denoy. Hello, Paul. Good morning. Haven't been here for ages, Paul. No, I haven't. But uh, how long has it been? It's, uh, it must be six months at least. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, Mark Ellen? I'm a recent visitor, uh, <laughs> <laughs> better or worse. Mark okay. Ellen's yes, still got his cycling kit on, I note. I know, I'm, I'm perspiring. Tour de France? I've just, I just uh, trod my way up Amwell Street in Islington, uh, past a very relaxed-looking gentleman, uh, <laughs> Boulevardier, <laughs> re- reading a book, wearing a pair of dark glasses. Let me I guess. think possibly having a small cognac with, it, with his coffee. It was, in fact, the man on my right. Paul Denoy. Yeah. So that, that points up the difference between us two, anyway. And the other <laughs> voice you've heard is Barry McElhenney. Morning. On his way to work. I'm on my way to work in a suit. Yes, in a suit. He's just pointed out you've only got two forms of clothing. Uh, suit. Suits on the one extreme, shorts on the other, nothing in between. Nothing in between. No jeans. Not allowed to wear jeans, uh, as I've been been told. No, you're not allowed to. Not allowed to. Told by the GLW that wearing jeans, I look like a paramilitary. (laughs) (laughs) Do you mean the FPO or the GLW? (laughs) The FPO. What was the FPO again? The The Fund 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 F
Yeah, hope she's not listening. The FPO. <laughs> Don't worry, she I'll won't send be. This to she you. won't be. So Barry McElhinney doesn't wear jeans. Mark Helen <laughs> doesn't wear polo shirts, do you? No, I don't. No. What, I, what do you look like in polo shirts? You look like I, a member of the Star Council. It's a really complicated thing, which Paul, Paul will remember. So when Paul and I were at New Musical Express in about 1979-1980, there was a sort of polo shirt movement led by people like uh, Paul Rambali. Paolo. Paolo Hewitt. Yes, it was the Cappuccino Kid time. Cappuccino <laughs> Kids. White yes. socks, uh, possibly a pair of espadrilles, slightly kind of European feel, and a, and a polo shirt. And I once overheard Neil Spencer, who was the editor, and Paul having, well, I thought, a very heated argument about right? how many buttons of the three available buttons on a polo shirt were, was best left undone. And I remember just thinking, I, I just simply can't deal with it. So I'm trying to write an article about reckless Eric. Pe- people, please keep the noise down. Oh, they, these, are, these are deep schisms, these subjects. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, the the three, like the three buttons on a, ja- on a, on a jacket. You know, what the rule is. That, oh, um, yeah. oh, come on. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah. It is uh, uh, of the three buttons which should be fastened, and the rule is that the, uh, the middle one always, the top one sometimes, and the bottom one never. Do you know who told me that, actually? Make Bill Nye. I interviewed Bill Nye for this very magazine. That's Bill right, Nye quoted that rule. Yeah. Yes. He said he was told that once he by a wardrobe system. He got it from Denoyer. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and what about a waistcoat? Because there's a button issue with the waistcoat, isn't there? You should always leave the bottom on uh, undone. Why? Well, the, the, the theory is that uh, whichever king it was who popularised him, you know, one of the Edwards, I think, had a bit of a, what they used to call a corporation on him. <laughs> and, um, Which doesn't apply to any of us. And, and it was flattering to leave the, uh, the bottom button uh, undone. And so everybody watches what the king does. And uh, it was like uh, turnips and trousers, that was, I think, the Duke of Windsor. Who, uh, when you know, when you, 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 you're marching across the mud at Epsom or something, you have to roll the trousers up so that uh, they don't get um, spattered. Do you think it was After a king? That, that everybody rolls up their trousers and trouser turn ups. Maybe it was a king that first wore espadrilles in a polo shirt. I mean, wouldn't like to think so. Maybe that's what's King happened. Paul Weller. <laughs> yes, King Paul the first. So enough <laughs> of, <the laughs> of walking. <laughs> enough of the fashion hints. I read in the paper this morning uh, broadband is imp- as, as important as gas and water, says G. Brown of Downing Street. Do we agree? Well, it's getting that way. It's not. <laughs> it's water. If you woke up in the morning and your broadband wasn't working, uh, you'd get by, wouldn't you? But if the water wasn't working, I think you'd get a bit cross, wouldn't you? Well, it's just another attempt, isn't it, by Gordon Bryan, to tap in to the... It's a bit early for this. This is superb. What he perceives as, uh, as what young people are particular concerned with. broadband. Do you think Gordon Brown can start his own email? Do you think he can get his own email? for somebody to do it for him, not I, I, when you look at him... I can't know. get my own email, yes, so can. I think it's highly but unlikely that... It's Fraser helps me, yeah. our digital editor, so I, 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 you know, I've got a lot of sympathy with him. Can you switch on your Mac by yourself? I can switch it on, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, work that out. <laughs> I, I, and switch it off. I'm quite good at it now, actually. Do it a lot. I've practised. Anyway, I'm not convinced that Gordon Brown knows anything about the internet, so I think you should stop pontificating about it. I, we haven't talked about this a, event occurred in the last two weeks that I got further intelligence on last night. The gathering at the BBC of so-called top talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To be to be told by the director general that we having a wage cut. That there might, <laughs> might be a wage cut in the office. I spoke last night. A swinging to, party that must have been <laughs> to somebody who was an, who attended the meeting. And I want you to imagine this. You know, so you're Mark Thompson, and you decide that you know you've got to lay the ground for. You know, Jonathan Ross is going to get a million less, or you know, Joe Wiley is going to get slightly less, or whoever. So what do you do? You get together all your top talent in a room at a, a television centre. Do you, don't they you think didn't it's a very, tell them, did they? 
They didn't tell them. Didn't say they it's just a discussion. Kind of bit of a summer party, bit of a, you know, kind of direct general, oh, direct general investment. <laughs> now, you just think about this. You know. They thought it was all just cocktails. Just, they, might, a bit of they might have thought it was a bit of a state of the nation, you know, whatever. Yeah. But and then you turn up in this room and, and you've got everybody in the room is either very famous or desperately wants to be very famous. I'm saying that's a combustible atmosphere, yes. isn't it? You and and how does Thompson then introduce, or, or one of his people introduce the notion that actually you're all here to, to be told about a p- possible pay cut? All well, those they're... not getting a half a million pounds, they don't take one step up. Logan, where the hell do you think you're going? I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a moment. Now, you, 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 know, you, you chaps are all, you've all observed, observed stars, yeah. you know. They all prefer to be in their own orbit, don't they? Yeah. They don't yeah. like intersecting oh, yeah. with anybody yeah, else at all. It makes them appallingly uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. So they turn up, and what's the first thought? They're thinking, am I the most famous person am in the room? Am I the biggest star in the room? And then it becomes clear to them that they're not the biggest star in the room. You know, so everybody's turning them up. Jonathan Ross, showing, showing that native cunning, which has served him very well, doesn't turn up. Because he's obviously call. worked out that he's not the most famous person in the room. That's yeah. a good move. Yeah. Everybody, everybody kind of shows up. Bruce Forsyth is there, Terry Wogan is there, and, you know, big radio names and all, and all these people. And apparently Mark Thompson launches into a presentation, probably PowerPoint. Yeah. Now, I'm suggesting you haven't got the attention of a room full of stars, have you, with One PowerPoint? Or 50, slide 52. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and and it, it actually contains bar charts, I think. Yeah. You know, Spreadsheets. It's just... They're glazing over, actuals. aren't they? Yeah. Key performance indicators. <laughs> KPIs. So to summarise, <laughs> and anyway, he leads slowly towards the point that basically even we, with our guaranteed licence fee revenue for the next few years, don't have the money that we did have, you know, because we're spending it on millions and billions of different things. Yeah. Um, and therefore, some of you have got to be prepared to take <laughs> yeah. a bit of a... That must have been the fun bit. And, uh, and uh, you know, there are then questions from the floor, you know, uh, all of which are immensely guarded and are kind of, uh, you know, started with uh, disclaimers like, much as I admire the work of... Da, da, yes, da, 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 whoever else they think is a complete waste of money. Yeah. You know, don't forget to ring fence, you know, the news budget or, or whatever. Apparently the last to speak, the one who wrapped up the meeting, Bruce Forsyth, who piped okay. up because everybody else had been, had been had been saying, you know, this is this is John Smith from Nature Watch or, or whatever, you know, felt that they had to introduce themselves. Yeah, Bruce Forsyth, Bruce Forsyth said, "Hello, Bruce Forsyth, uh, Sunday night at London Palladium, 1959." <laughs> 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 proceeded to kind of reel off his medal. Oh, very good. You know what I mean? yeah, well, he's yeah. the senior member, isn't he, in the club sense now? Uh, well, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's 80. He and, he and Ken Dodd probably would be this. Well, so Ken Dodd doesn't, doesn't work regularly for No, he's not a BBC man. No, but no, in no, terms no, of really. British show business. Yeah, yeah. 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 Member. Famous graffiti in the Holloway Road. Ken Dodd's dad's dog's dead. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I read two um, reactions to, to that meeting. One was by Graham Norton's business manager, who said stars yeah. should be paid more. <laughs> so they're not paid enough. If anything, they're underpaid. Yeah. And then one yesterday by Paul O'Grady saying, I'm quite happy to take a pay cut. I realise I'm paying a fortune for what I do, and I'm going to have to take. So it's obviously at least created... Paul Grady works for ITV, doesn't he, as well? 
That's why he's been so generous. Yeah, the chap from ITV, Peter Vincham, today is quoted in Media Guardian as saying, oh, I think the BBC should be careful about slashing these kind of things and forcing the talent to pay the penalty or whatever. Because ITV can suddenly cast itself as the, you know, the understanding you know, bosom to which you run you know, when times are hard. But anyway, there's been so how much would you like to read that list were it to be leaked tomorrow of the Daily Telegraph? The list of, of, of pay deductions and... <laughs> It, would it be won't work as simply as that, will it? There'll be, there'll be all kinds of odd renegotiations. Of Basically, they're damping down any demand for a rise, I would imagine. But did you see that there's been lots of speculation about what people have paid, led by the Mail and the Guardian? Have yeah. you seen these lists? Yeah. Well, I was amazed at the alleged disparity well, we between, already, between we? Well, well, do you know? I what? didn't know. I, go on, what are you going to say? Well, about uh, Ross is allegedly on a figure that is constantly quoted about £6 million. So that's for three years, I think. Yeah. It's Terry, oh, no. Wo- Terry Wogan was quoted more at £800,000. Yeah, but Terry Wogan's on yeah. the radio. It still seems a disparity. Well, possibly. OK, the biggest disparity, the one that stuck out for me, was John Humphreys, £150,000 a year. Is that all? Yeah, Joe Wiley, £250,000 a year. That's ridiculous. Now, I would say, whether you like him or not, what John Humphreys does is pretty difficult to replace, isn't it? But it's ridiculous. It takes a lot of skill to play records by the gossip. (laughs) (laughs) At the right speed. A skill he will acquire soon if it's £100,000 in it. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, we should, we should watch this space, Absolutely. I suppose the, 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 the decider will be if they go anywhere, won't it, in a year's time. Yeah. If they have moved on and gone elsewhere, because presumably nobody else will pay them that sort of money, so they will well, have to take at some point a pay cut. There's nowhere to go, is there? No. But the BBC has to do something because pressure on the licence fee now. The concept of the licence fee is growing more unpopular by the hour, isn't it? And the BBC has got to do whatever it can in PR terms. I mean, the, the, the new idea really is that the licence fee might um, survive, but it'll be divvied up amongst various media organisations. That's because the, the, the report that's B- coming out today, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly, yes, because the BBC is sucking up... What, what, because of the drop-off in ad revenue in, 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 in the modern media, the BBC is sucking up whatever revenue exists. You know? yeah. And so we're heading towards, although no one really wants the BBC to be the state broadcaster, we are de facto heading for the situation in which the BBC is the state broadcaster, because everyone else is tailing off. Yeah. My local newspaper, which I've been getting for the last 20 years, three weeks ago, it just didn't turn like the free paper I'm in, it just didn't turn off. You know, it's been shoved through my letterbox every week for 20 years, and without a, without a whisper, it's just stopped. It's no longer there. I no longer know, know what goes on in my corner of London. But it was always a depressing read. It was always the latest playground stabbing or something. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, you miss it when it's gone. Or, <laughs> trouble with, or trouble with the bins, you know. Oh, yeah. But it, it gave me some kind of idea what was going on at the end of my street. Totally and now, gone. it's eerie. I, I have no idea what's yeah. going on in my corner of London. There's no other organisation supplying that uh, information. Oh, See, it's a gloomier note. Didn't they say recently in America out of 7,000 main city local papers, only 1,500 still survive? Well, the, the big one they had in America recently was the Boston Globe, wasn't it? Where they, yeah. um, the, management ar- the, the management asked them to accept, the staff to accept an 8% pay cut on a number of layoffs, and the staff vote, narrowly voted against it. The management then imposed a 35% cut on top. <laughs> How do you like the look of them apples? Because yeah. <laughs> so, th- there seems to be two schools of thought on this. Uh, you know, people like us, kind of horny-handed sons of printers, Inc., yep. we think it's a bit of a shame, you know. Yeah, and, but, but 
many of the public seem to think, well, if it goes, it goes. You know, I can get all my news from you know, Google or BBC News or whatever. Do you agree with that, Mark? What do you think? I, well, I violently disagree with that, I'm not even sure if this is the right topic for a podcast, because I will probably, um, you know... There's steam coming from the steam, steam, steam coming from <laughs> I may break a piece of furniture and then break down and weep. Because uh, and Paul, oh, I don't want to up because of my fondness for print media and Barry's and Fraser. In fact, all of us. Let's be honest. Uh, if I think it's absolutely irreplaceable, and uh, I, I think it, I think it would be worse myself to be on a daily newspaper than on a monthly magazine because I think the level of exposure is much higher. I think it's much harder for a, for a daily newspaper to react to um, news when quite patently there's absolutely nothing that you can publish by definition because of the time has elapsed and you're publishing it that can be new to anybody. Uh, that could be something they didn't know that had been leaked by the internet. Whereas a month obviously gives you a lot of time to come up with perspective and pictures and observations and things that magazines can uniquely deliver. I'm sorry to sound like I'm... Except that we just, we just passed, passed through a period where a national newspaper in Britain has had the biggest circulation spike yeah, with an old in the last scoop. 20 years with an old-fashioned scoop, which is the Daily Telegraph yeah. and the Expenses story. But so, you know, you could argue that if it's something how, you could... Don't but think how you get rare is it that you have... In fact, Andrew Collins has written a, a piece about this in the, in the upcoming edition of Word, which is this notion of what constitutes news. News used, used to be, well, still is really, something that is new to me. I didn't know it. And the papers used to sell news on the back of something that just happened that you didn't know about. And now what they do is they sell newspapers on the expectation of what will happen, possibly, this afternoon. I think there's also the investigative element, isn't there, which David Simon made this point, didn't he, the guy who created The Wire, that y you, you can still have news if you don't have newspapers because you will have people on a screen telling you what's just happened. But that whole area of questioning decisions and yeah, investigating yeah. and finding out what local authorities are up to, nobody's going to do that in the way. They haven't got the resource to do that. And, they, and the, you know, various institutions no, are when more people than happy that that's the case. People think that they can just go on the internet and they get the news, but what they're getting actually is re recycled news yeah, from, from the newspapers. Actually, from print sources. Absolutely. It's being, that's, it's the, being, that's being aggregated it's being edited with no depth. No, yeah. It's not even being edited in, in many senses. It's really, this is the big conflict, I think, that you talk to, you know, and I've had lots of feedback on this recently. You know, that you talk to people in their 20s feel that they don't need a newspaper because they get it all from Google News. Yes. Where does Google News exactly, get it yes. from? It gets it from the websites of everything from the, the Baltimore Sun to the Yorkshire Post. All know. of which is That's given all, away free. All of which the newspapers <laughs> have given away free. May which they, a mistake which may just have been a mistake. But the other, going back to the BBC issue, the other thing that's, that's uh, growling away in the background is that much as we all may approve of the BBC and everybody thinks what the BBC does is fantastic, probably think that the licence fee is a very good bargain, kids coming up nowadays just think, what was that? Yeah. You mean I've got to pay? I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> do that. Uh, yeah, uh, the the advent of new free newspapers has made a hole in this market. This is another theory that I, I feel I'm absolutely convinced is correct. Because I look at my own kids, right, who are, if they are indeed kids, 23 and 25, and through the whole... Um, uh, era of of of, um, of music being of available to them free, they found it very difficult to buy records. They think records are very expensive. They think going to concerts is a perfectly reasonable expenditure, but actually buying a record they find quite hard because they kind of assumed that music was going to be something they yeah. could acquire for nothing. Yeah. And I think that the arrival of the free newspapers, particularly in London, in London we have three newspapers uh, given away for nothing on tubes, 
and also two magazines that come out on Thursday and Friday. And those things, I think, have really eroded the the people's idea of what the value of news newspapers. You see, I would have hazarded a guess, but people will not buy the Evening Standard if they think they can get a newspaper for free. I would have hazarded a guess, Mark. It's judgment. Isn't the free newspaper owned by the Evening Standard? Of course. But I would have hazarded a guess, Mark. Did you quit those free papers with worthless? You personally? Well, you do, but I think it's. I mean, I don't, I don't think, think they do. They don't read Word to. magazine because people reading Word magazine are clearly over, over thirty or over forty. But I mean, I'm talking about teenagers. The idea that they they should be buying a newspaper, which they haven't inherited, and they certainly even if they had inherited, the idea of paying for it is no. something they're very very against. Maybe doing. It's a busted flush. It was, uh, it's a it's such a complicated thing. I mean, I had a very interesting lunch with the editor of New Statesman when he was the editor about a year ago, John Kampfner, and he explained to me each of the broadsheets and what it was that was selling for them at that time. And at that time, it was, you know, the Independent was selling on um, environmental survey information. The, the the Times were doing very well out of um, health survey information. Yeah. It was mostly surveys because that is def by definition something you it's don't new, know about. Yeah, yeah. It's news. Uh, and um, you know the uh, the Guardian were doing very well on uh, environmental um, uh, catastrophes. How's the Dilly Sport doing? <laughs> <laughs> My old man, well, uh, old Kelly Brook, apparently <laughs> fell over coming out of a taxi the other night, so they did terrifically well. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, <laughs> moving on from from uh, newspapers uh, to Bruce Springsteen's current tour. <laughs> Get out and push, people. <laughs> <laughs> we should have lost momentum. There's no synchro mesh on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I would be uh, failing my duty if I didn't draw your attention to the fact that have you seen who the, the stand-in drummer is? On certain tours, on certain dates on this Bruce Springsteen world tour. I've just seen the tour. piece of YouTube. Max Weinberg's son, can't remember his name. 19-year-old Jay Weinberg is is standing in. So this is presumably some kid who's previously just paid his bands, you know, just in a local bar or whatever. It's suddenly going to be in front of, well, it might be if he misses Glastonbury or whatever, in front of how many people at Glastonbury? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, and... The reason is that Max is contracted to play. I can't get over this. In the Conan O'Brien house I've, band. I've seen yes. him play. I've been to the Conan O'Brien show. I've seen him play, and that's his regular job. Springsteen fits in in the evenings. He's got, if he's got a free Tuesday, he'll go out and play to 600,000 people in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he's busy, though. <laughs> I know. It's two, two great American institutions walking with each other, isn't it? It is. Yeah, the, it yeah. is. But it has now become... You never would have thought that the best gig anybody could ever have was... Be in one of those bands that you know plays David Letterman in, or yeah, you did, know. didn't you two do a week as Letterman's houseband? I think we did, yeah, an um, entire week as part of the promotional yeah, campaign. Yeah. That was, you know, it's such a big thing to do. Well, presumably, get paid to be fair, a lot. He'd be getting a lot more money than being an easy band, and he'd be reaching far more people's balls. Saying the figures for that show are it's not much fun, though, is it? Dead easy. They play swings. It's a swing. It's very like his relationship with rock music, rather like Charlie Watts' relationship with rock music. That taken taken aside into his splinter group, he sits there and plays swing. It's a swing band with a big horn section. They're really, really good. Mm. Uh, I've seen him, but uh, and he just sits there in the middle on a huge, great podium, in a rather sort of uh, regal fashion. Uh, and also, let's be honest, he's in charge. This is the Max Weinberg. What are they called? The Max Weinberg Seven. I, I don't know. know. It could be. Oh, yeah. right. I don't remember, remember, remember Richard Williams saying about the Eastry Band. It said it was like the sound of a Victorian wardrobe falling down the stairs. <laughs> 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 That's lovely. And not the first son of a drummer. 
to go on. Because it, it doesn't Ringo's son play? Zach Starkey well, was a member of Doesn't Bonham's son play? Jason Bonham is a member of So something in that, Sons of Drummers, appeared to turn up and do what they I was just wondering if there wasn't a. If we weren't moving towards a time actually when you could replace all members of groups with members of their children. Well, that's what I want to remember with the Beatles. Yeah, Will, this is it. Oh, what would the line be? The, the line of the Beatles is okay, it's, uh, it's Zach Starking on drums, on drums. it's yeah. Danny Harrison on guitar. Yeah. John, he looks yeah. like his father yeah. and he's very he yeah. he's pretty good. Really good. Rhythm, rhythm uh, Sean and Lennon. Sean Lennon as yeah, John, because he's pretty good. Yeah. He's exactly and like uh, when James, 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 Ch- Ch- oh, James he plays the profile, hasn't he? But he has played, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's played in a band. He played, we played, he played on a McCartney album. I love that he kept a low profile, but you know, any minute now he's going to leap up in front of 600,000 people going, oh, okay, <laughs> this one's for Auntie Flo. But then you forget how old these people are. You know, you still, think they're, you still think they're children because they are the offspring. But in fact, they're, they're now in their 40s or something. You know, they're far older than the... Per- Julian Lennon is older than his father ever was. Yep. Really? Well, because John yeah, died at 40. How old was John? 40. Yeah, Julian was born in 63. So he'd be 45, yeah. yeah. But John, if John Lennon was alive, he'd be 70 next year. Is that right? He was born in 40. Yeah. Well, in that case, Ringo. Yeah. 70 Ringo next year. 70 then, because Ringo was the oldest, wasn't he? Yeah, he was born in March. 40, uh, there's, yeah. A, yeah. there's a reckoner, isn't it? Yeah. So while we're on the subject of offspring, this is slightly less tortuous gear, gear change here. We've all seen the news that Chester de Bono is about to... To become Chaz. 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 Now, I know, you know, we shouldn't approach this as a, no. as a cheap well, life. I've seen a picture story. of her stroke head. Is it a sad old story, Mark? I do, I feel a bit, I do feel a bit sorry for her. I, mean, I think you've got to be in a state of very extreme confusion, I think, to have to... Also, we have to, we have to respect his privacy at this time, the PR says. Oh, right. Okay. Any other so just bear that in mind. Was that, was, was <laughs> that, that with, cracks Did that come you? with the press release of the picture? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the offer of interviews. Yes. <laughs> at home. Yeah. <laughs> so I want you to imagine you're sitting on the sofa. It's 1965. There's Sonny and Cher yeah. on, you know, Ready, Steady, Go, and, and you know somebody predicts that you know in years to come, you see that woman there. Well, she'll still be really famous 40 yeah. years yeah. later. You know, him, he, he will be. He'll a, become a, a, he'll become a, a right wing politician. He'll be a right wing yeah. congressman <laughs> who dies in a terrible skiing accident. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and they'll have a daughter who'll become who'll a become bloke. chastity. chastity. Who will then become a lesbian? Oh, come oh, out yeah, as a lesbian. The middle, but... And then become a bloke. Called Chaz. And it, it's early days. It's early days. They're going to live forever. You know what I mean? It's extraordinary. You want to know why the 60s still hovers <laughs> over people? But, but, that? but what people always said about Sonny and Sher was it's really strange. He sings like a woman and she sings like a man. <laughs> and look what happened. Oh, dear. Gender confusion was written into the It's a classic, isn't it? It's a classic. Oh, but it happens all the time. If you look at the story of uh, Michael Hutchins and Paulie Yates and Bob Gettler, that little triangle. Yeah, everyday tale of ordinary uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Round ordinary <laughs> rock folk on the lamb. I mean, it's just, you look back at it, you just cannot believe no. what happened. No. I, mean, I, was, I was reading about it in the paper only last it's night. It's back in the papers new, only yesterday. New dimensions, it's, because Tiger's grandmother, supposedly, is, never gets to visit her, etc. Uh, I mean, well, the so grandfather, crazy. Hutchins' father, died, didn't he? And uh, she's now alleging... Uh, the mother's alleging that his dying wish was to see Tiger Lily and they got in touch with Bob. All alleged. No idea if it's true or not. He didn't do it. Meanwhile, the, you know, the, the Yates, Geldof offspring are underwear models, socialites, 
It's just you can't make it up, can you? Well, Peaches has most recently kissed uh, a female, which has been a huge tabloid. Oh, I missed that one. Headlines. Got to be done. It's, it's part of the ongoing it's narrative. Want, that's Barry. what you do. Next, yeah. <laughs> so back to reassuring territory. <laughs> I'm trying to see where the segue is going to go this time. I'm enjoying the clunking, yeah, right, crunch of gears. Let it go. Last night saw the return of, and I missed it myself. Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Oh yes, yes, it's yes. after its six-month hiatus following the death of uh, Humphrey, Humphrey Littleton. Did you hear it? Yes, I heard it. Paul, what do you think? They had, I, uh, I, no, Rob, I'm, I'm like the Rob kids. Rob I'm like the kids. You know, my reaction to everything is it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, I've never, I've never heard it. I've never heard it before in my life. That You've show. Never heard it. I don't listen to. I don't listen to the radio mind. very much. And um, and uh, and then after. So I've never heard this. I never heard the great uh, humph and all that. Oh, wow. I thought it was pretty poor, to be honest. With was you. it Stephen Fry? Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry was there, and Victoria yeah. Wood, and. Um, Yes, uh, Barry Cry. There were some very good lines, as you expected, you know, people of that calibre with a little bit of time to work up their script. It was pretty yeah. good, but the general tone was so pleased with itself. I yeah. Thought, yeah. Really. And I, I, I'll, ne I'll never listen to it again, knowingly. And then it was followed by the archers. <laughs> <Yeah. which laughs> knowingly is such a damning word. Might <laughs> <laughs> accidentally stumble across Richard Williams once told me he had never knowingly listened to a, a, a tune by Led Zeppelin once, you know, i.e. voluntarily. Yeah, well, that's, that's a self-denying ordinance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I, mean, I, was, I, mean, I just couldn't really see what the fuss was about. And then um. I, I just couldn't understand that thing after it, the, uh, the arch. And <laughs> <laughs> the people thing. you don't care about there's living a, in the country. I was listening to one of the uh, Armando Iannucci Charm Offensive uh, recordings, which I really, really heartily recommend to anyone. One of my eldest son gave me for Christmas in the car, and they're talking about the arches. And, and the, the gag was that, that one of the people had rung in saying uh, they thought the arches was real. They didn't realise it was a play. They thought somebody just left a tape recorder on in a farm. <laughs> Such a good idea. <laughs> I like the arches. I think it's on fire at the moment, actually. But uh, you know, I, sh I suppose it shows that all, with all these things, they're all a question of habit, aren't they? You know, if you just go to one yeah. episode of any of these things, you don't take to them. Radio Four habits build up over years, don't they? It just reminded me of that bit in the thick of it when uh, they're trying to test our Hugh Abbott, the minister's knowledge of popular culture, and he goes, he says, "So who's the only gay in the village?" He looks like <laughs> Eddie Grundy. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. You're a, you're a minister. Barry, Barry Cryer, uh, 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 I adore. I was, I was, I was on a, a, ra a radio program about two years ago, and uh, he just—he's just absolutely, unfailingly, hilarious man. And he just told this great joke, which I thought was so funny. He said, "It's a doctor joke." He says, um, "Doctor, doctor, I think I'm going deaf." The doctor says, "What are the symptoms?" He says, a little yellow cartoon family on the telly. Good there you. it is. There you, go. <laughs> you can see it coming, though. <laughs> I do. I love Barry Cryer. And the thing I love about him, the thing I love about I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, as compared to loads and loads of the new generation of edgy Radio 4 panel games, is that he laughs at other people's jokes. Oh, yeah. He's immensely supportive. Man. Yeah, he is, yeah. Whereas at the same time this week, there's also been Victoria Wood and Joe Brand saying, never again going on male-dominated, uh, you know, panel game type shows because. But I've got, got a bit of sympathy. For I've that. got a lot of sympathy. I think I really feel for that. God, I mean, we had Jenny Eclair in, in, in Word magazine uh, about two years ago saying the same thing, 
And uh, she said you're just forced into playing a certain role, or else you're really, really cruelly edited, which I did, actually didn't really realise it would be that bad. Well, because it's so fiercely competitive. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's just very difficult. I think the structure of a lot of those programmes, particularly the sport, what's the sport programme? I hate it's got Rory They think it's all over. Oh, it's it's all over. That, uh, the structure of that is so entirely male-dominated that the, the, the female roles are, are very tight and very, very narrow, and you're only allowed to behave and speak in a certain fashion. I think it must be very hard. But even things like, have I got news for you? I've seen people go on there that I know, like Danny Baker. And, and if Danny was here now, none of us would we get, get a word in no, no. And we're pretty, you know, voluble. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but Danny on Have I Got News couldn't get in there. Really? No. Well, the trouble with that program, which, which I do watch, but that's where I do watch, that's so owned by its regular panellists, isn't it? Yeah. It's always difficult for the guests, whoever they are, to um, make an impact. Because it's pretty much the, his lob and um, merch. It, it is, and by the time you've, you've, you've only got half an hour, and I think they record up to 90 minutes, so if you're really going to lose as much an hour's material, then you, you, by the time you've structured in his lob making his political yeah. point, which people really want to hear, yeah. and Merton going off on his psychedelic uh, flights of, 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 of um, comic fantasy, yeah. which you really want to hear, yeah. then there's not much room for... I mean, I've seen people on there, actually, I'm probably competing with QI, QI uh, Anika Rises or QI ones, and I don't think she said a single word the entire programme. They simply could not edit her, uh, anything that she said into it. Just, just, just reaction shots of her laughing and looking embarrassed. I mean, I guess she probably shouldn't have been on there. She wouldn't have much to say in the first place. But, uh, Seems bizarre. Her yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, the one thing I caught this week on YouTube, uh, which I didn't see at the time, which I do recommend, is Brian Blessed presenting Have I Got News Fantastic, for you? I saw it at the time. Oh, I saw it, yeah. He is hilarious. He is brilliant. It was fantastic. Because he's, he's just, he's bigger than all of them, isn't yeah, he? You know, fantastic. he's not afraid to, you know, he, um, he dominate it. Yeah. Awesome. When we launched uh, Zoo Magazine a number of years ago, Brian Blessed did the original ads. Sure. No kidding. Yeah, we, yeah, we hired him and it just simply saw at the end, he shot, Zoo! That's, <laughs> that's so brilliant. Blessed voice. But he was fantastic in Have I Got News for Yeah. He's absolutely brilliant on it. Do you remember the bit in, in, uh, in the Alan Partridge television series when he's, he's reporting on a horse race and Alan Partridge doesn't understand anything about... He's a sports sport, he doesn't understand anything about sport. And he's talking to his jockey, he says, shouldn't you be in school? <laughs> and he goes, no, no, I, I, I'm, he's I'm, an I'm Irish 37. He's yeah, 30, 30 I'm 37 years old. He said to him, well, you're very small. He said, oh, all jockeys are small. He said, no, no, no. He goes, is that why you never see Brian Blessed on a horse? <laughs> <laughs> the Brian Blessed taking us as they're going to stand a monstrously tall man. <laughs> He's hilarious. He is, yeah. This Sunday is Father's Day. Um, oh, yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, will this be observed in your house, Barry? Only if I remind them of it. <laughs> Between now and then, which I probably won't bother, actually. Uh, Paul, you told me you've sold your children for medical, medical science. Medical experiments. <laughs> yeah. Is that paying? Is that paying well? Is that good? Should well, well, well investments, I thought. I, do, I don't know. I'll probably, get a, I'll, I'll probably get a card. I might get a box of chocolates or something. But it's, it's something that's quite useful. I mean, I never observed it when I was a... You know, with my dad in the, no, no, we back didn't in the day. Back it didn't, really, day, it didn't, didn't exist. It. Did it, it exist, or is it, it no, did exist, I think? It. It's just become it. more marketed, like all of these days. Well, so the bigger Mother's Day gets, I just think, you know, <sighs> the Father's Day gets a little bit of a kind of token reflection of Mother's Day. You see, all I'd want for my ideal Father's Day would just be left alone. <laughs> That's what Dad wants. <laughs> That's all I want. That's what Dad wants. That's the great truth. <laughs> 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 just don't, it's don't, true. don't give me anything. Just, just let me be. <laughs> Well, I wrote a column about this. Yeah, I agree with every word about it. I agree with every word. Because my dad used to, you know, he used to come home from work, have, have his tea, and go to sleep in the chair. That's all you want. That's what fathers did. 
Whereas nowadays, fathers are fathers are blokes with their, you know, they're wearing shorts all summer, tearing down the park with unwilling kids holding footballs, uh, aren't they? Going to Glastonbury together. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't be oh, you know what? It struck me this morning. I was coming in on my, on my bicycle. I went past a shop called Paper Chase, which is a card-selling shop in the Chiswick High Road. And I just was looking at the display of cards for Father's Day. What interested me about it is that Mother's Day cards are, are very kind of poetic, if that's the word. The, word. the idea is, it's Mother's Day, give her, give her a day off. Look at indulgence, chocolates, it's breakfast in bed. Yeah. Uh, she mustn't do any washing up, blah, blah, blah. But Father's Day cards are very... I think, I think the word would have to be prosaic. In the, in the, the, the main display was a card that they were selling, uh, which the, the caption was... Um, Happy Father's DIY Day. That's right, Happy Father's DIY Day. And it's made out of a happy face, made out of tungsten carbide drill bits, um, you know, um, Black & Decker <laughs> appliances, uh, possibly a workbench and some screws and tacks. And there's another one, a little card, so Happy Father's Day, and it's made up of, of two fried eggs, a sausage and, and, and some tomatoes arranged into a face. And it's just this idea. And there's another one that says, Happy Father's Day from your little princess. <laughs> So it's one for a daughter to go. But just notice the wording here. The father is the guy whose idea of a happy day, apparently, is we're giving you a load of tools so you can go off and do something for the community. But you're being reminded that the person who gave it to you is the princess, although she's only eight or whatever, (laughs) who's literally going to lie around doing the thick end of sweet fuck all while you do the drilling. (laughs) I think it's wrong, David. The the world turned on its head. The world's gone mad. The cartoon I think of that ought to be a Father's Day card is the old New Yorker cartoon with the father sitting in the chair with a newspaper, small child <laughs> standing there, and he turns to the small child and goes, now you can walk, get me a beer. That's <laughs> superb. That's <laughs> absolutely That would do nicely. Oh. <laughs> so, Let's do uh, our favourite cartoons ever in magazines. Yes, yeah. That's a great podcast. People talk about cartoons. <laughs> so to mark, Father's oh, Day, to, to mark Father's Day, uh, what I thought would be interesting is, to, is what did our fathers used to say about pop music? Oh. oh, well, I think I've, I've horrible feeling I've done this on a, a, a previous podcast, but my father's thing was, it will damage the stylus. <laughs> oh, yes, I think I told you this, and uh, he denied it when I, I put it to him in a club. But basically, his whole way of stopping, we only had one record player, uh, which was called a, a radiogram. Yeah. I have three elder sisters, so we're, we're talking here about the uh, late 1950s and early 1960s. And he, um, he wouldn't let us play our pop music, left, it would damage the stylus. And actually, for a while, I suppose, I had to accept this, because I thought that Deutsche Grammophon was, was because the production values were so much greater, probably, than, than this chancer, George Martin, with his, his cowboy outfit at Abbey Road. Well, they had gravel in the group. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so I really used to think that, actually, I would, you know, maybe it would explode if I put a swinging blue jeans record on, so maybe the whole thing would just catch fire. My, my dad would do the classic, where he would come in during Club of Pops and, and literally say, is that a girl? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just sort of infuriated me to such an extent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think he, now looking back on it, I think he was probably doing it with a certain amount of knowingness. I think he sort of knew it wasn't a girl, it was just to wind me up. I, I would now do exactly the same thing. Yeah. What about you, Paul? Well, it, it, was, very, it was very much that uh, is that a boy or a girl thing. And I remember um, uh, in retaliation, I got hold of his, uh, he only had a couple of LPs. Uh, one was. Um, oh, two LPs? We had some, in fact, we didn't have any, they, they were kept around at his mum's at my grandma's. We'd never record player <laughs> imposed a cue over this music in the background. <laughs> But he, one of his few LPs was um, uh, Mario Lanza in uh, The Student Prince. And Mario Lanza has got shoulder-length black hair and a green velveteen suit with breeches on. And I hold this up into his face. Yeah. Is that a boy or is it a girl? <laughs> you, you pin that to his shaving mirror. Girl written on it in lipstick. Yeah. <coughs> Dad. 
The worst, the most controversial figure in my household was Dave Davis of the Kinks. Oh, yeah. Because Dave Davis actually, for a while, had the longest hair in rock. Yes. Do you remember? Yes. I mean, uh, he just was longer than anybody else. I'm talking about 1965. And he came on in his frock coat. I don't know what record it would have been. Maybe Sunday afternoon in 65. And they came on, uh, top of the pops, in, fro- in wearing very, very camp, very tight-fitting, riding. Uh, hunting pinks. Hunting pinks. Sorry, it's hunting camp, but hunting pinks. Frock coats, didn't they? Yep. And rough collars. And my father just, he, w- he went for Ray Davis, for Dave Davis big time. I think the television was switched off. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the fuse was taken out. My mother used to look at Mick Jagger and say, he's got a mouth like a set pot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's very northern. Yeah, I, it's, it, yeah it's northern. Yeah. What it means, I do not know, but it's, you know, it's, def- it's definitely northern. The so something's image. clearly gone out of pop music, hasn't it, since one's father used to sit with one. Yeah, because now we all like the same stuff, don't or we? Or pretend to. I mean, I decided early on with my kids to let them have video games, because I, I had no real interest in video games. And sort of let the, left them to it. I think it was a good decision because they are now really into video games because I don't understand it. Whereas with music, I like pretty much the same as they like. So you occupy the same area. Yeah, so, so therefore there's, yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah. there's nothing to fight about. So they had to have something that was just theirs. Yeah, yeah. And it turned out to be Grand Theft Auto 4, thankfully. We used to have a uh, system in the car when the kids were going along car journeys. We used to have what I used to call the democratically elected car tape. Whereas you could vote for songs you wanted on, and I would make them up. And then again, that became meaningless because actually nobody had any songs that nobody else didn't like, so it was kind of pointless. You need to have a bit of fighting, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I always try to educate my kids. Well, I I didn't really want to, but I thought if they just, by osmosis, they'll absorb things in the car because I just put my compilation tapes on in the car. And what they just did was they just clamped the head. Yes, yes, yeah. Even from from the age of four weeks old, they would just put headphones on as soon as they heard my music. I told you about my old friend Dave. He took his his son to Wembley Stadium to see the Rolling Stones. Oh, right. Idiotic thing to have done in the first place. That was going to be a pleasant experience. And he said, he really, really kind of crossly, really old fashioned, got a bit of half Nelson, said, I'm going to march you off to see some proper music. This poor lad oh, sitting there, ah, oh, awful shower of ghastly support acts, UB40 and people like that, you know. And when the Stones came out, he said, right, he nudged him, said, now, watch this. And the boy, exactly what Paul was saying, produces from his, his pocket uh, like an electronic contraction, screws it into his ears and listens to grime for about 90 minutes. <laughs> Quite had, had a much, really good time. He's the only person dancing in the audience, I'll tell you that. Having a lovely time. <laughs> See, I think there's a great secret there. Like, years ago, we were on holiday with, with the family and um, we hired bikes. Okay, we were on a cycle path. And as we came back from that uh, jaunt, my wife said to me, that's the happiest we've ever been as a family because we were all together but we couldn't talk to each other. Yeah, perfect. That's brilliant. <laughs> and I think it's a bit similar to that with the family in the car, with the kids yeah, with the yeah, headphones. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah. If you have social interaction, that's where you have friction. Yeah, you know, yeah. So people just go... Kind of the one moment <coughs> when I thought maybe my son was going to like the same music as me was when I told him I was going to some award ceremony and the Bono of U2 was going to be there and I might be able to get him his autograph. And he said, yeah, it'll be great. And I thought, yeah, he's, he's going to like the two. He's chip off the old block. Yeah, he said, can yeah. you get me it? I'll sell it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's so wrong, isn't it? Well, it reminds me of uh, that whole thing with uh, Phil Thomas, a mutual friend of ours. You know, who, who, who was the editor or the publisher, in fact, of *Adventure of Empire*, wasn't mm. he? He used to take his kids to. His kids didn't realise that when they went to the cinema, they were actually going to a preview theatre. Right. And it was terrible experience. So they went to see what was that? Kind of Jurassic Park or something, and they had to go out to the cinema. And these kids were throwing a massive hissy fit, weren't they? Standing in the rain, queuing. What were we queuing for? Said, at the very end, they wouldn't leave the cinema because no one had given them that. He came up to you 
uh, his son Joe turned to him and said, where's the goodie bag? <laughs> he actually thought when the film ended, he expected Steven Spielberg, possibly you know, two or three of the stars, come wandering around and shake his hand first yeah. and give him a cheeky little baseball cap. <laughs> there was the Holloway audience. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the goodie bag? Where's the vep? Oh, it was a, it was real broken by this. I demand my warm white wine. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, further to the subject of Father's Day, who's your, who's your favourite uh, father in sitcoms, Paul? Fictional father. father. Sitcoms. Oh, I don't know. Alf probably. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, no, I was thinking about Alf Gordon. I think it, was, it might have been on a podcast. There was a discussion about how modern comedy seems quite harsh, and in the old days it was sort of cuddly. And it wasn't really. Old comedy was quite harsh, but it was more rounded. These horrible people like Alf Garnet and um, Steptoe, they were horrible people, but at the same time there was a lot of pathos attached to them as well. There was a point in every episode at which you started to feel sorry for Alf Garnet because he was so obviously swimming against the tide. And uh, Wilfred Bramble, old steptoe, yeah. such a yeah. p- literally pathetic character you had to feel for him. And I think that's probably what uh, we lose now. And that's why, as I get older, I feel more and more affection for those characters because they were horrible and yet rounded human beings, you know. You identify Very with good. them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're going through a latter day <laughs> garnet phase. Who's yours, Barry? Um, I was just thinking as you asked that, actually. I quite like the dad in uh, Fr- uh, Frasier. Oh, right, right. Martin. Yeah. Oh yes. He's yes, quite a he's quite fantastic. an engaging character, isn't he? But it's a very kind of implausible relationship that is, isn't it? That he would live with, uh, you know, he's kind of middle aged. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's he why. Lives, I like the idea. That's, it's a very complicated piece of of, um, of uh, narrative. Is that he was a police officer who was wounded oh, yeah. in combat, and therefore that, therefore walks with that, and therefore has to be looked after by them. But he's bizarre. He's got his both sons. These are opera loving dilettantes. And he's a kind of... It is a bit unlikely, but I quite like check him. Check Oh, yeah, 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 I like him. Yeah. I like him. What about you, Mark? God, I can't think of what I see. Uh, Mr... I don't know. I, I, lots of characters I like, but I don't really know whether they're farmers or okay. not. That's the problem. Mine's Ricky Tomlinson. In the oh, royal thing. oh, oh yeah. that's fantastic. Because yeah. the, 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 the kind of, he's the classic father in the sense that he literally doesn't get up from his chair. He never moves. <laughs> just never moves. People do absolutely just everything. Sits there and blows off. The only time he gets up, he yeah. goes to the lavatory. He does. <laughs> he doesn't even. He won't even answer the door. Really, <laughs> they always send Ralph Little. Doesn't he? Yeah, it's a Ralph Little set to go and buy a Kit Kat. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Twenty number six. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's our hero. So further to uh, to previous week's podcast, Mark, I sent you the the extraordinary story of Egg Friday, as has been oh, taken up. Really last touched. About you were talking this. about this on podcast. A couple of weeks when ago. we were at Abbey Road, I think one of the things we were talking about was just uh, fantasy groups. And uh, I, I, told, I told the story very quickly for anyone who wasn't listening because I'd had a dream uh, and I dreamt that I was in a board meeting at RCA Records and we were cooking up the new boy band. And in my dream, I thought of the ultimate name and I realized it was so good that I forced myself awake and wrote it on a piece of paper. And I woke up the next morning knowing I'd had a strange dream, couldn't remember what it was, little piece of paper, two words, Egg Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I loved it so much, as you know. It's been there's been a mention of Egg Friday in every edition of yeah, you slip it in for about it? for about <coughs> three years. If you look hard, you find egg, something about Egg Friday. Yeah. So and this guy, this one, what is it? Backwards. It's backwards. Backwards seven. It's written a, a, apparently a two-part. Fraser's telling me now a two-part play based on the backstory of the Friday of Egg Friday. You know, it's, uh, it's is it on the site? Yeah. It's on I'm the very site. very touched and flattered. Thank you, backwards. It's, it's tremendous. Maybe they will one day exist, as indeed they should do. Last week's podcast, I think, we were talking about how uh, drunk uh, teenagers in the middle of the night going home invariably 
steel items of signage or, or road furniture. That it's kind of it's yep. a deep compulsion amongst young men. And Eamon Ford has pointed out to us that uh, that um, he had friends at university in 1991. We were living in Port Rush. Now, Barry, you're going to have to help me with this. Port, uh, yeah, Port Rush on the North Ar- North Huntram coast. It says Northern Ireland's answer to Blackpool. Very much so. If the question was, can you build a really shit version of Blackpool on the most? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bit harsh, Eamon. <laughs> Port Stewart's very nice, don't you? Know. <laughs> anyway, they found a massive town centre sign complete with pole lying on the pavement. Presumably the, presumably the council were replacing it due to collect it, so they stole it. It was nine feet in length. It wouldn't stand upright in their house, so they were stuck for a place to put it. That was until they alighted upon the great idea, and this is so student, of leaning it up the entire length of the first flight of stairs. No matter that this cumbersome sign took up 30% of available spare space, their stair space, there it stayed for many months. Then one night they had a house party, and inevitably the police were called by irate neighbours. They came in, told everyone to keep the noise down, and were about to leave when they spotted the sign. So <laughs> how did that get there? Oh, somebody said, oh, my friends, our advice is to return it where you found it in the next five minutes. Yeah. So they duly did. Presumably you don't mess with the Northern Ireland. I wouldn't it. mess with the uh, <laughs> Portrush police Gaza. force. It reminds me, actually, of the... Um, do you remember when I was editing Smash Hits and we were, we were given as a competition prize the arch from the Freddie Mercury Barcelona <laughs> video? And we had this enormous... Kept spare, we kept it in the reception area, smash it, thing, up against the stairs, oh, until eventually, yeah, oh. eventually we were informed it was a fire hazard. Yeah. And, and had to get rid of it. But it was the same principle, laid up against an entire flight of stairs. That was in the days of smash hits where nobody could ever resist. If anybody ever, her PR said, I've got a really yeah. useless, cumbersome... You know, fire hazard clogging up the office. Would you like to give it away as a competition prize? Yes, please. please. Yeah. Never thinking about how difficult it might be. One lucky winner, and then it cost three hundred and twenty pounds to post. That's right. An entire Freddie Mercury arch arrives. So, anything (laughs) further to add? Before we bring this podcast to a close, can I plug Happy Father's Day? Happy Father's Day, yeah, to everyone anyone listening. Can I plug um, the new edition of Worm, which I think is out, isn't it? What day is it today? It's out. Few days, is it? Yeah. The Bono issue. Last it's got Bono on it. Uh, let me say to, uh, I've had quite a lot of uh, angry uh, emails from um, uh, subscribers. The subscribers' editions of Word, collectors' items actually, have no cover lines on them. And a lot of people, I think, were um, upset, and some, in fact, I think, possibly even traumatised by the idea of, of his face appearing on the cover of the magazine, but without any kind of context. But the cover line is, in fact, Bono on trial. Uh, what is it? Superstar Saviour. Or, or sanctimonious git, git. Uh, a, a word investigation. So, what I'm saying is, read the article. Anyone who's still horrified by it, and read the very, very lovely, positive things by Paul and myself, and four people in this room actually. And is there are, in fact, some very critical things, quite harsh things. Actually, is it true that some thing. people have taken to customising the cover with a magic marker? And how are they doing it's that? Don't, don't encourage them by, by writing a four-letter word on his head. Apparently. This This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.